0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Murder Mystery Theater by Creative Learning Society. Each week, tune in to hear a new murder mystery story, where you become the detective and help us solve the crime. Each week, you will hear a story with clues and evidence, everything you need to make a stunning accusation and solve the crime on your own. Summer at the lake house was a family tradition. For the past 50 years, the St. Clair family had been spending summer vacations along Lake Clementine. The water was the perfect shade of dark blue, and they were calm and welcoming. The lake was filled with deep sections that emitted the coldest water that, when it mingled with the warm sunlit surface, made the overall temperature just perfect. One could say the entire setting may have been plucked from a storybook, complete with the gentle, soft beach, the grand old tree with a tire swing, and the wraparound porch covered in rocking chairs, made for conversations and napping. Since the passing of their father, Jonathan St. Clair Sr., on March 8, 1942, the family had been anything but picture-perfect. His death was unexpected, and the matters of his massive estate had been left undone. It seems greed grows quickly in the face of tragedy and uncertainty. After several months of searching, an old will finally surfaced, and the family lawyer, Reynaldo Byerson, asked the entire St. Clair family to join him at the lake house to discuss the final distribution of Mr. St. Clair's assets. Perhaps he had hoped the setting would invoke nostalgia that would bring ceasefire to the family squabble. Perhaps he was uncertain how the family would react to the news, or perhaps he knew exactly what was about to happen. The Family Present at the Reading of the Will Fanny May St. Clair the sweet young third wife to Mr. St. Clair married only 2 months before his passing the entire marriage had been veiled in gossip before she started dating her late husband no one had heard of fanny may where did she come from and why would she be interested in marrying a man twice her age Jonathan St. Clair Jr., a man in his thirties, stylish and perfectly happy living a bachelor's life. Never interested in the family business, he managed to maintain a silent partnership in the firm and enjoyed a lifestyle well beyond his means. Edmund St. Clair, the eldest son. He was brought into the family business when he was young, and as of his father's retirement just several years ago, he was left to continue the family legacy as head of DSC Enterprises. If asked, he will tell you he hasn't taken a day off since his 17th birthday, but one might detect a note of bitterness in his voice. Christina St. Clair, the wife of Edmund St. Clair. She is bossy and she is a socialite image is everything and she wants her husband to reap the benefits of being the firstborn male. She believes the inheritance should be hers. (gasps) Oops, I mean his. Imelda St. Clair, wife number two. She will admit she married her best friend, but marriage was a mistake. It was a romantic nightmare but it did deliver one good thing. Their daughter, Isabel St. Clair. Isabel St. Clair is the youngest of the St. Clair children. She recently turned 22 years old and is studying at Oxford University. She is a numbers whiz and some would say gifted. Evans Tilliburn is a longtime family friend and the local vicar at the Lady of Saints Church in Northampton. He has been a close confidant to the St. Clair family and is privy to many of the family's secrets. Last week, he was seen having a private meeting with Mr. Byerson, the family lawyer. Tilly Van Esters, the Lake House neighbor and full-time resident. She is the neighborhood busybody an elderly woman who lives alone after her husband disappeared on a fishing trip more than 12 years ago. March twenty third, 1942 If it were any other day, The sun would be shining and the birds would be singing, but today the sun seemed to be hiding behind a sky covered in dark, heavy clouds, and the birds were tucked away to ride out a storm. The lake was still, like a mirror reflecting the dark and intrepid sky above. In the distance, the thunder rumbled and lights streaked against the sky. A storm was coming. The guests stood in silence in a circle around the living room. The fireplace crackled and lent a glowing orange light to their surroundings. With the exception of the fireplace and the two side table lamps, there were no other lights in the room. The lighting cast a shadow on the wall almost stealing the attention of the dead lifeless body on the living room floor it was the body of mr byerson the family lawyer he laid there looking up at the ceiling in a gingham green suit hands drawn over his chest and his legs sprawled about As if he had been riding a bike that suddenly disappeared. Just lifeless and surprised and wet, his hair was wet. Evans Tillyburn was the first person to break the silence. Dear Lord, I think we are all in need of a prayer. The response from the others was exasperation. Imelda began to cry. And went to find a tissue. As she turned around and took a step, she tripped over something and fell to the floor with a thud. Catching herself on her hands, she noticed a briefcase was open and a bunch of envelopes and a key fell out. They were labeled one through five. Edmund was the first to offer assistance, But as he crossed the room, he too tripped over an object on the floor. With a cling, the object rolled across the floor and stopped beside the body. It was a cracked, highball glass. Edmund quickly recovered and assisted Imelda off the floor, taking from her the stack of envelopes and the loose key. He looked through the envelopes and found that one had been ripped open, and it was labeled... Last will and testament of Jonathan St. Clair, Sr. This package was open and the contents were missing. Christine spoke up. Oh, Edmunds, please be careful. Remember your heart. Your heart, Imelda, Jonathan Jr. and Isabel all chimed in at the same time. Edmund replied, yes, yes, I had a little trouble, nothing to worry about. The doctors ran some tests, and I am just waiting on results. I am sure it's nothing. Now, Christine, no more talk of that. Understood? Christine nodded, but she glared across the room at Imelda. In the dark, shadowy room, they had all played in as children and spent many happy years as a family. They now stood as strangers over a dead body with five envelopes a key and a missing will. If you ask me, I believe they were all much more afraid of what lay within those envelopes than they were about the death, dead man lying on the floor. Fanny May spoke out. "Ah, oh, what now?" Edmund replied. "Shall we look in the envelopes?" The group gave what appeared to be their collective consent and Edmund began opening the envelopes. Envelope number one. A formal transfer of ownership of DSC Holdings Enterprises from Jonathan St. Clair Sr., to Jonathan St. Clair Jr. dated March 3rd, 1942. Special note first born. Envelope number 2. A photo of Fanny Mae St. Clair with an officer in the German army. A single dollar bill and a note. It said, "Liar" and thief. Envelope number three, a clipping from the newspaper. The headline read, The Bambri National Bank closes its doors after 105 years in service amongst scandal. The third line of the article was underlined in red. It said, bank officer and council suspected of working with outside sources to funnel money to the access to fund the war. In the next column, in the same red marker, in handwriting, it said, we knew too much. It was then that Christine St. Clair, Edmund's wife, got impatient. What kind of game is this? What kind of sick game is this? She grabbed the key out of Edmund's hand. What does this go to? What is this for? And she went on with her tantrum. But she was quickly hushed by her husband, and no one noticed that she placed the key in her pocket. Envelope number four. It was a map with the location of the lake house encircled in a heart. The attached note dated September 1905, Read, my dearest Imelda, do not despair. Marjorie and I are committed to helping you. When we arrive from our trip late next week, we will make arrangements for the baby to be born with us. Remember, I always said to move forward without fear. Envelope number five. A delivery slip for a package sent to the lake house address to be delivered on March 22nd, 1942. The entire family paused and after a moment, they thought a package. Has anyone seen a package? Suddenly the entire family ran to the front door. They looked all over the covered patio, but found no such package. Suddenly, a little light flickered from the cottage next door, where Tilly Van Esters was gently closing her curtain to hide her peeping eyes. This caught the eye of Christine St. Clair. Look, everyone, maybe that silly neighbor has seen the package. Edmonds took charge and offered his services to go and inquire with the neighbor, but he was quickly joined by Fanny May, who stated, I don't trust you. I'll go with you. The rest of the family watched as the odd couple walked down the drive and across the stone-lined garden path to the house of Tilly Van Esters. A few pleasantries were exchanged at the front door, and the odd couple entered the home of Tilly Van Esters. The family decided to go back into the house as the storm was now in full swing and the wind was whipping rain right in their direction. Back in the dimly lit living room, the scene remained the same. A dead man lie there on the living room floor and the family gathered around with a blind eye. Jonathan Jr. sat lost in thought. What did this all mean? Who killed Mr. Ryerson? Somewhere between that last thought and his first dream, Jonathan was woken up by a loud thumping at the front door. At the entry stood his brother, Edmund, his stepmother, Fanny May, and their neighbor, Tilly Van Esters. As a group barreled in the door with their apologies for making so much noise, They blamed the wind for the dramatic entrance, and Edmonds quickly latched the door shut and then locked it for good measure. What came next was the extraordinary account of the past 24 hours at the lake house by Tilly Van Esters. The Account from Tilly Van Esters Yesterday afternoon, a delivery was made by the parcel service around 1 p.m. Shortly after, a woman wearing a trench coat, scarf, and dark glasses stepped out of a taxi and came up the driveway. She looked under the front doormat and then knocked on the lake house door. She spoke with someone who answered at the door briefly and then left. Last evening, near 5.40 p.m., Mr. Ryerson arrived with a briefcase and knocked on the lake house door. Miss Van Esters thought this was odd, because he had always had a key. He was let in by someone Tilly could not see, but the lights remained on in the house until well half past ten, and then everything, everything went dark. At some time in the morning, between 2 a.m. and 2.45 a.m., Tilly was woken up by the sound of a car leaving the driveway. When she awoke the next day, around 6.30 a.m., she looked again and saw the fireplace lit. Now that was very odd for the summertime, she thought, so she decided to go over to the house and knock on the door. Mr. Ryerson answered quickly, though he only cracked the door open. She asked if he was doing well, and he answered, "Ah, "'If I can make it through today, I shall be well.' She then asked if he had lost his key. He replied, "'No,' and she nodded, bid him a good day, and turned to leave. But as Tilly left the porch... She couldn't help but notice a package. Tilly couldn't resist. She quickly scooped up the package and walked home. She felt like she was part of a dramatic spy novel and would offer all sorts of apologies later if anyone had found out. Imagine her surprise when she discovered that the box was full of German chocolates and the note inside was addressed to her. It said... Dear Tilly, thank you for always keeping your eyes open. Evans Tilliburn commented, Ooh, German chocolates are the best. I miss the time I spent there in seminary. Tilly continued. As she got ready for the day, she heard a myriad of activity. A car came up the drive. And as the driveway is out of sight and tucked behind the tree line, it was very difficult for Tilly to see the cars. But she could hear them drive up. She assumed the family was arriving. So she turned down her radio and heard voices, and to her surprise, yelling. Just as she peered out the window, she saw one person enter the house and slam the door. The second person followed a moment behind, but had to unlock the front door to enter the lake house. Less than 15 minutes later, only one person left. After Tilly finished bathing, she was again peering through the window as the sound of a person walking along the side of the porch startled her. It sounded like they tried to open a window. They must not have been successful, because she heard a quiet cry and they cursed something awful and then left. Before they left, she did manage to see that they were wearing white gloves and carrying some paper. After all of that excitement, Tilly made herself breakfast and then fell asleep listening to her stories. She was woken up at half past 11 when the family started to arrive. The family arrives. First, Edmonds arrived with his wife, Christine. Bickering as always, they walked up the front walk where Christine managed to step in a puddle and was consequently relieved of her shoe as it stuck itself in the mud. She stopped to retrieve her shoe, but her husband kept walking. She turned around, went to the car, and changed into her Chanel pumps and removed her muddy gloves. Annoyed, she knocked loudly on the front door, waiting for her husband to answer. Tilly remembered, hmm, is she too lazy to fish out her key? No more than five minutes later, Imelda drove up in a little sports car. She was looking so lovely. Full driving apparel, gloves, goggles, all. The door was locked. She entered the house with her key. Quickly after, Isabel arrived in her cute little compact car. Always the smart one, she wore galoshes. She tried to open the front door, but it was locked, and she used her key to enter. All she could think was how rude. Evans was the next to arrive. He walked in carefully, knowing just where to avoid stepping and getting stuck in the mud. Divine intervention, perhaps. Before he entered the house... He bent down to look under the front door mat, and then knocked on the front door. Fanny May and Jonathan Saint Clair, junior were the last to arrive. They drove up, one behind the other. Fanny removed her shoes before tiptoeing through the rain, and Jonathan quickly met her with an umbrella. Jonathan, the gentleman and ladies man, was quick to retrieve his key to unlock the front door. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to our story, Lake Clementine. It is time for you to put on your detective hats and help us solve this crime, for we have given you all of the evidence and information that you need to solve this crime. What a curious matter. Who killed Mr. Ryerson and which one of our characters is in possession of Mr. St. Clair Sr.'s will. What was the motive? We invite you to, turn, to tune in next time to hear the solution and another great mystery story from the Creative Learning Society. Until then, stay mysterious.